All right, this episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Market. Hey, Chris, it's late summer, and that means the late-season figs have arrived. Are you a big fig guy? I love figs. Yeah. Four luscious varieties at Zupan's, Black Mission, Brown Turkey, Sierra, and Tiger Stripe. Uh, Pair these with your cheese and honey, put it on a slice of sandwich. A lot of people, like my wife. A slice of sandwich? Slice of sandwich. A sandwich? Put a slice in a sandwich. Sliced in a sandwich. There we go. Right. Uh, my wife uses uh, a lot of times to sweeten up foods and, as part of her Whole30 diet that she's doing. Oh, good. You can't have like the you know the granular sugar, but you throw in some figs, you're good to go. Right, and and you could do a tasting with all these varieties. Oh yeah, figs are good. Yeah, and also um, one of my favorite things is to check my news feed, my Zupan's news feed before I walk into the market, see what the, what they've just sent me for free. Yeah. And this month, it's pretty cool, A um, some olive oil from southern Italy. For a $25 purchase, you get a fr- you, there's free olive oil. And it's a nice size. Nice. Am I looking at what kind of si- what size it is here? I don't think it says right no, here. No, but it looks like a big bottle. I saw it. I saw it online on uh, Zupans.com. You can never go wrong with that. Uh, we like to highlight the local vineyards that uh, Zupans likes to highlight. Right now, Soder Vineyards, located in Carleton, Oregon, Soder Vineyards, dedicated to creating the highest caliber of wine in the way that uh, treads softly on the earth, which is important. Have you ever walked through the aisles and aisles of wine at Zupan's? Oh, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a, lot a place of varieties. to go. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great varieties. And you can do that at any one of three locations, West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Grove, or, of course, at Zupan's.com. It's time once again for Portland's Food Scene Podcast with your host, Chris Angelus, and me, Cor Johnson. And I'm actually introducing myself right now because Chris Angelus currently touring his way through Barcelona. I, I think that's where he's at, is in Barcelona. You can follow along on Instagram, Portland Food ADV. A lot of great pictures for his uh, European trips that he's doing right now with Jose Chesa. Uh, he's got some trips as well coming up in 2019 that I want to quickly point out, one of which is going to be to Australia. So uh, check that out at Chris's website, portlandfoodadventures.com, as we uh, probably have what will be the shortest intro to an episode ever. Some people might like that. Some people might not. Uh, great uh, interview today with a great guy who introduced me to my very first, I never heard this phrase before, adult nut butter. We're talking about Elliot's nut butter, and we've got the founder, Michael Cantor, in the studio with Chris today. Uh, really interesting story uh, coming out of, uh, uh, I believe, the East Coast through New York City, different restaurants, and then ultimately back in 2013, launching Elliot's Adult Nut Butter. And what does adult nut butter mean? Well, Michael's going to explain it. So here you go. It is our episode of the week. Michael Cantor with Elliot's Nut Butters, excuse me, Elliot's Adult Nut Butters right here on Right at the Fork. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Zupan's Markets. For over 40 years, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and more, with delicious emphasis on locally sourced items. The best of the Northwest Bounty can be found at your closest Zupans on West Burnside, McAdam, or Lake Grove, and at Zupans.com. Eat well, put taste first, love your food. 
Ringside Steakhouse. Owned by the Peterson family for generations, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a landmark of the Portland landscape, featuring impeccable service that has set the standard in Portland for nearly 75 years. Enjoy the finest aged steaks in Portland, their world-famous onion rings, and even Ringside's legendary late-night happy hour. Whether it's a special occasion, a business dinner, or just a great night out, make a reservation at ringsidesteakhouse.com and by San Pellegrino. Iconic, fresh, sparkling water with an extraordinary Italian heritage. It's a great, refreshing way to enhance any dining experience. Ask for San Pellegrino by name the next time you're having a great meal. Ever since its foundation in 1899, San Pellegrino has been a premium brand synonymous with style. Try it with your next meal and enjoy the difference San Pellegrino can make. So, well, thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's been a while since I um, I just realized as we as we shook hands that we did meet at feast a few years ago, but probably didn't know who each other. <laughs> right, you, you right. were you were identified, so I right, identified right. you with your product. But good, but good job. And I read you know a little bit about your bio and how you got there and what you you, you sent a little information. But what you didn't indicate, you said, and we'll start right at it because you have. A nice background of cooking at great restaurants and a culinary career, um, which actually included Poppy in Seattle. That's right. All right. So that was one of the first restaurants I ever went to in Seattle, and I, I really liked it. It was great. Um, and then you were at Pock Pock down here. Anything that starts with a P.O., you were... That was it. I, I even worked at Ping. It's a P.I., but... Uh. Well, we're close <laughs> enough. It's, and Oh, you worked at Ping? Yep. That was great. Yep. And so you stepped away and then uh, worked at uh, in Whole Foods for a little while. But then you said you had the, the, the moment, the realization. And how did that come about? How did you come up with the, was it, yeah, I, I'm, it's easy for me to say peanut butter all the time. I haven't used nut butters a lot in my lifetime. But how did you come up with that idea? So part of it goes back to, you know, my, as you mentioned, I had a background in cooking in restaurants. I had this vision for as long as I can remember of starting and opening my own restaurant. And as I worked my way up, I started to realize that my passion was food and restaurants were just one way to do that. And I realized I needed to figure out a different path to stay connected to food and kitchens just weren't necessarily the right place for me. I learned a lot and part of how I've gotten to where I'm today is for all the great experiences I had. Why weren't they, what, what was it about a kitchen that wasn't right for you? I mean, I think it's... Perhaps cliche that sometimes people will tell you to do what you love, but you know, and then you know, he does a job and you love it, then everything will come easily. But I think what I realized, I love food, I love cooking. After a while, cooking started to become more of a chore, and that's sort of what I didn't like. Like I wanted to feel the passion for food, and I just was not feeling it. Even though, like at the end of the day, I wanted to be able to go home and keep cooking, and so. Um, you know, I love the experience, learned a lot, grateful for it. But in terms of where, how it got to here today, and I certainly was looking at the hours and, you know, for all the people you've had on the show, all the people I've cooked with, some of these great restaurants, they've had restaurants that have opened and closed. So even looking at super successful chefs, even they have stories of restaurants closing or I've eaten at the places where I'm like, this place is incredible. Why is it half full? I don't get it. Uh, well, not only that, sometimes even if they're full, they're making a huge profit. Right. That's it, part of the... Exactly. So it's obviously a tough business. Not that being a food producer is super easy or anything, but that just sort of 
made me want to move in a different direction. So like you were mentioning, I was working, got a job at Whole Foods to stay connected to food. Um, I've always loved going to the grocery store, grocery shopping. I'm the one who cooks and does the grocery shopping in our house, going to farmer's markets. And, and where did you grow up? So I grew up in the north suburbs of Chicago, Highland Park. Uh, okay. So what can, what were, I, I'm just asking because what were the markets like there? Because when I moved from here to there, east coast to here, the grocery stores were like just like the produce here. Beautiful bountiful and, and and cordial nice places where i come from the checkout process was not a friendly deal and here it's so friendly so i'm just curious right i mean i think uh actually my i think it was my chef in brooklyn or he had like a joke of the difference between like east coast and west coast chefs is that east coast chefs have to use a lot more technique because they kind of have to overcompensate for like the ingredients and their sources, whereas West Coast chefs are more simple because they just have such great product that they don't have to like way overdo it. And so part of it was a way of being like, oh, look how awesome we are because we know all these awesome cooking techniques. But I think both the gap has changed and whatever, that's some macho. But I'm curious but, about your impression of grocery stores out here. But in terms of grocery stores out here, I mean, I think having now almost five years into the business and traveled to grocery stores around the country, uh, yeah, I mean, the experience is different here it's more pleasant the selection there's just things that you can find here that don't seem even necessarily that exotic that sometimes are harder to find other places i mean i certainly because of my passion for food i always found the places in whether it's new york or chicago where i live to find good stuff but uh here there are definitely things that are easier there's other things you know like whether it's you have to go a little farther in Portland to find some Asian markets or certain ingredients. So it's all trade-offs, but uh, definitely the experience here is, you know, I remember being in New York going to a hardware store and somebody like, what do you want? You know, as, as the gruff, like, you know, they're just being direct, which <laughs> right. is great. But some, you're, out here, people would be like, whoa, I apologize for coming into your store. Like, I didn't mean it. Uh, <laughs> didn't mean to offend you. Right. Whereas they're just like, why would I waste time with pleasantries and whatever? Just like, you're clearly here to buy something, so let's figure it out. Yeah, right that's now. right but, to the uh, point. But anyway, so in terms of, you know, the experience of where I got here, so, you know, I was working at Whole Foods and trying to figure out what to do next because my passion was, I realized I wanted to start my own business um, and the restaurant was one way to do it. Um, but I was trying to figure out something else. I literally was like working on some different like app or software ideas because somehow even though I have no background in that, it just seemed like, oh, that's what people do or to make some money on the side or something. And one of my favorite just snacks for years, you know, I've worked in offices or even just when I was in kitchens, it's just kind of different nut mixes, like nut blends, curried cashews, tamari almonds, go to Trader Joe's. They always have different kind of fun flavored mixes. And so I literally was sitting in my computer one day eating from a bag of spicy cashews and I just started, I was working on my like app idea and I started thinking, you know, I love these by the handful. Why not as a nut butter though? And I started doing a little research and I was like, nobody else is doing it. So you know what? I just went downstairs through the bag in the food processor from my background of cooking. I knew how to turn it into nut butter. So, you know, turned it on. The question of course is, would it taste good? Um, and lo and behold, it tasted the same and just as good as a spread as it did by the handful. And then the question was, okay, as I started looking into it more and I tested to do flavors, had friends and family try it, sort of the question of, okay, this tastes good, but is there a market for savory nut butters? Because either nobody's doing it because it's a terrible idea or nobody's doing it because it just hasn't been done or hasn't been done properly. So that's sort of where I set off. Uh, that was 
the lightning bolt moment was July of 2013, and then in November of 2013, we had jars legally approved by the Oregon Department of Agriculture to sell. And uh, What was the lightning bolt moment? Did you see, you know, light coming through the clouds and, <laughs> and music, or uh, what did you see at the light, lightning bolt moment, and did you see what you have now, five years later? Well, I definitely did not... It's one of those things, like, you don't want to think small, but I definitely did not... It wasn't like at that moment, I was like, you'll see five years from now, you'll be at X place. Uh, but it was kind of like, like, I think, I'm sure we've all been there where you're like thinking about something like, oh, this is a great idea. Or, you know, like, why doesn't <laughs> that's someone... Why, that's do... why I asked. I've had a million so, great ideas that weren't great. So I, so I had that moment, but it was one of those, like, the more I started thinking about it and having tasted it and then like looking, doing more like research, like, cause certainly there's any number of products, we, whether it's been at a farmer's market or friends or family, they make something, it might be good, but you're like, but how many people really want to buy this? Like it might be delicious in and of itself, but how big of a market is there for XYZ product? And so that was sort of my question, but the more, you know, I was doing research, there were like things I figured out of like, well, two thirds of the peanut butter in the US is consumed by adults. And you know, Peanuts at that nut butters, peanut butters were this huge growing category at that time and still are growing. So it felt like a moment of like, well, this seems really interesting. This is something I can do. I mean, part of what made me excited about following through on it, I think sort of what you're alluding to there, it's again almost cliche. There's a million good ideas out there at any given moment, but it's sort of like you got to pedal the metal, try it. And not all of them actually work. Um, but that was sort of, I was like, you know what, let's just run with this. And part of it, what made me excited to do it was I ultimately in finding how to be connected to food. I mean, my whole thing is wanting to, you know, make good quality food. We often as Americans, there's a lot of processed food that is full of junk. Even a lot of food that's supposedly healthy is often, we start reading the ingredients. You're just like, I don't know why that ingredient has to be there. I don't know why, what's that doing there? Is that good for me? Is it bad for me? And so what also then really made me want to run with it was like, okay, the great thing about nut butters are, there, you don't have to put a bunch of crap in them. There are companies that put palm oil, other stabilizers, hydrogenated oils, different things. But at its core, I mean, peanut butter, which there are certainly companies out there, peanut salt, that's it. Um, and it's just naturally shelf stable. So I felt like it was a product that I was excited about, but also I could stand behind and not be like, well, just don't look at the ingredients and you'll like it or whatever. I was like, my whole belief was like, we wanted to do simple, but unique flavors. So that's from the beginning, you know, our flavors are only three to seven ingredients per jar. Why don't you describe what your flavors are? Because there are obviously people listening out there who we want to familiarize with the product right. who aren't familiar yet. Right. So when I started and was doing some recipe testing, what it, having friends family try, we pared it down to our initial three flavors, which were a spicy Thai peanut butter, which was the first flavor, uh, honey chipotle peanut butter, and a garam masala peanut butter. And that was where it all started. Because again, to see the idea was we're being more savory. There are more sweet flavors, which certainly there's a place for them. People love Nutella and other sweet flavors. There's local and companies beyond who are doing sweet things. And I just felt as consumers, or at least as an adult, I want to be able to eat something that's less sweet, uh, less full of fillers and sugar. And this sort of seemed like an opportunity. And then with my background of cooking, like to me, I you know, like the spicy Thai peanut butter, I look at like the cooking applications, the same with all of our flavors. I'm always like, what can I do besides just putting it on toast? Even though at its core, there's still peanut butter or almond butter that 
yeah, you can grab an apple, carrot, celery. Um, so that was, so those are flavors. Um, and right, even pulling back, I mean, companies, Elliot's Adult Nut Butters, um, part of explaining even the name, I, I, I alluded to part of it, you know, the idea was, well, two thirds of peanut butter is consumed by adults. And when I was, I literally, after my shift would go at Whole Foods, I'd go just stand in the peanut butter section and stare at all the jars and try to look at what people were doing and what would make us different. And it felt like there's a lot of nut butter that's kind of marketed towards mom and kids, which didn't seem to reflect the demographics of who were buying it. Certainly moms were buying it, dads were buying it, but there wasn't like flavors geared towards adults. And so that's sort of what I was trying to tap into. But you need to go beyond the peanut butter and jelly sandwich to get there. Right. And so I don't necessarily know that a lot of people are keyed into that right, right away, unless they're a little more sophisticated in cooking and eating, right? Right. So that, I mean, all the jars have recipes on them for other things that we certainly put on there. And that's, it's not necessarily a dilemma. I mean, I wanted our product to be able to stand alone that you could just grab a spoon because we certainly, you know, I, when I do demos or events, I'll sometimes start explaining, oh, you can make this and do that. And someone, someone will wave me off and say, I got a spoon at home. Don't worry. I know, I know how to eat peanut butter. I'm like, okay, okay. I don't need to oversell, uh, how to eat peanut butter, but you know, it is trying to remind or excite people that peanut butter is right. Great by the spoonful, but there are kind of fun applications for nut butters that, uh, either people aren't used to, or, you know, our most popular flavor is the spicy Thai peanut butter. Cause I think a lot of people, there's kind of that lightning bolt of a lot of people make, you know, peanut noodle dishes or, you know, and I, we had like a, whatever family recipe that even as a cook, I sometimes would be like annoying to like have to grab all the ingredients. They're like, oh shoot, I'm out of soy sauce or I need this or I need that. And that sort of like streamlines it. It's like, great, you need a jar. You pretty much are good to go. You could add a little fish sauce or water or soy, whatever to kind of thin it out. But I think there's sort of that lightning bolt of like, oh right, those flavors make sense. And, uh, and then it is a shortcut for, you know, making bowls of noodles or veggies or whatever it is uh, you're making. Um, and then to walk it back a second, you know, so like I said, Elliot's adult nut butters. Um, so we had the adult part as a succinct way to kind of say, here we are. This is, you know, that's the kids stuff. This is for adults. And of course I wanted to give it a more local feel, you know, we're from Portland. We're going to make it in small batches. That's going to be our ethos. And so while I love my name, Michael, certainly the year I was born, it was the most popular name and it continues to be popular. And while I love my name, it's not the most unique name. And so the more I started thinking about it, I was like, well, where did I start the company? In my house, in my kitchen, in the Elliott neighborhood of Portland. And it just seemed like, well, Elliott's adult nut butters. If somebody in a jar in Seattle or wherever sees it, they might just think, oh, some guy named Elliott has a nut butter company. Maybe they'll read the sidebar and figure out that it's from the Elliott neighborhood of Portland. Um, but that way, you know, I wanted to be able to give it a local feel, feel personal. Um, while still trying to make it as succinct because it's still obviously a mouthful being Elliot's adult nut butter. So every little way we could cut a few syllables out. Uh, and there's a little humility involved, not to use your own name, right? To, sure. So Yeah, I mean, I think I don't blame anyone for using their name in it, but I think I wanted to, you know, make it bigger than just me or bigger than, uh, like, certainly it's my company. I'm the one out there pounding pavement, waking up, thinking about nut butters, going to bed, thinking about nut butters. Um, but just there's, you know, there's lots of people involved in making uh, our nut butters. When you're doing your sampling, do people automatically assume you're Elliot or do they ask about Elliot? 
Um, people often do, and that's fine because <laughs> same way you said, if I didn't want to be called Elliot, I could have just called it Michael's Adult Nut Butters. Um, right, I'll get emails. There's even, I mean, I see vendors that I'm friendly with that I'll maybe see them every few months and they'll say, hey, Elliot. Oh, they're like, oh no, Michael, yeah. Michael, right. Yeah, that, that was, uh, I asked because that was my inclination. Let's take a minute uh, right here, Chris, to talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. It's been a favorite for a lot of people. For uh, They're celebrating their 75th year next year. Which is awesome. Yeah, who else? I guess what? Huber's maybe in Portland that has been around that long, but right. no one's been uh, carrying the torch for service as long as uh, Ringside Steakhouse. And as of, uh, and very recently also the Fish House, which unfortunately closed. Yeah. So they were, um, if, if you haven't heard the story yet, they, in that space over at Fox Tower, the, um, the building, the a tenant wanted more space and the Petersons decided that uh, they didn't have a younger generation that was interested in operating their restaurant business. So they decided to just stick with what they know really well. Mm -hmm. Not that they didn't know the fish house well, but they got an offer they couldn't refuse, I guess, for the space. And uh, and now they're they're going to operate the steakhouse solely. The good news here is if you're a big fan of the onion rings, <laughs> it's all about those, the have, onion those rings. have always been in both places. And I, I had just this past weekend, I introduced a friend of mine to the onion rings. And if you've, if you've never had the ringside onion rings, you are missing out because they are perfection. I've I had friends, two sets of friends here last month who enjoyed that, but also the lobster mashed potatoes. Oh which yeah, you could you could still get at Ringside Steakhouse. We did that too. And they have the after nine o'clock happy hour mm -hmm. menu, which is just as good as the Fish House is better than the Fish House's uh, happy hour menu too. Yeah. So, and not only that, of course, classic state service and an atmosphere. Did you know? I don't know if you knew this, Court, because. You have to be paying a little bit of attention. Portland Business Journal, Ringside won Best Restaurant in Portland. Uh, and a few categories as well. Not only Best Restaurant, but I think Best Service, Best Decor. That might have been it. Oh, I, the, may, I may be wrong on that, but listeners are certainly welcome to, to call me out. If yes, certainly. Easily the best service in Portland that I've experienced myself. I think so. Is at the steakhouse. It's, so. old, it's old school service. Right. It's, you know, it's asking the right questions and knowing what you like when you come in, if mm -hmm. you've been there multiple times. So yeah, Ringside Steakhouse over on West Burnside. What's the what the website is? Uh, RingsideSteakhouse.com. Yeah, there you go. That easy, and that's where you can also go and set up a reservation today. Yeah, and you can do that as individuals, or if you have a corporate outing, you're going to impress. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you at samplings, because this happens to me a lot, and uh, the product has to be really good. So I, I'll go to farmer's markets and sample this, and... So many times I buy the product and get it home and think, what was I thinking? I, I wish I didn't buy that. I'm not going to finish it. I liked it there. It, there's something about being out in the open with the person who makes it. It's a different thing. Um, don't necessarily think that's the case with yours for me, but do you? This is, I guess you can't know that that happens. Someone buys a jar and never buys it again, but... Uh, is there a way to overcome that other than have a superior, great product that people are going to want over and over again? Well, I mean, I think, again, keying back to like the lightning bolt moment or why I ran with it, uh, like one of the places I worked in Seattle, I also helped open a, a bagel shop called Eltana that they do kind of a 
modern Mediterranean menu, and so I helped develop the menu there. But from working there and seeing them making these kind of like Montreal-inspired bagels and just seeing people coming in on a daily basis just to buy the bagels, it was other things I took from that experience was A, there was food I could make that people would buy, but B, seeing people buying a staple food like bread or bagels made it seem like, you know, that seems like a, a place to be that, you know, peanut butter, I wasn't going to have to convince anyone to buy peanut butter. People already buy peanut butter. I'd have to convince them that they want to have flavors right. in their peanut butter. But I think maybe to partially to your point, like, I think there are a lot of products you're like, this is great. And then you might get home and be like, but I don't really eat this on a regular basis. So then it just sits in my shelf where I'm like, oh, it's for a special occasion because I don't know when I'm going to eat this or whatever. Well, for me, it's not as good when I get it home. It's right. I was like, why did I like this? I don't remember. I got a few of those right now in my cabinet. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, you know, there's no way to know how it's going to be other than, you know, over time of, you know, people reordering and you know, yeah, going no, to the that, grocery store, and, and that's the test that you're doing right. well. Because if if that happened too often, you wouldn't be doing well. Right, right. And that's, I mean, I was certainly, you know, when we launched, you know, this was an experiment. Ultimately, you know, part of my goal was to learn how to start a food business. And, and how did you launch it? What was the launch? So the plan, you know, as we as it seemed like this seems plausible. Um, I had applied again to two holiday shows, one in Seattle, one in Portland. So I was in. I applied and then got into the Urban Craft Uprising and Crafty Wonderland, having never <laughs> commercially produced the product. So I was like, I guess they like the concept and our branding. I, hopefully I'll be able to produce it by the time the shows arrive. Um, and, you know, so we then, as in finding production space, we used uh, Kitchen Crew, which is a local uh, food incubator. And kitchen space that you can rent by the hour. And so at the, you know, so in November of 2013, we were available and made some, we had our little like square website that nobody could find. It was just for like friends and family. And so we did the holiday show in Seattle. Um, and that's, you know, the goal, we had sales goals and, you know, if we met them, we would continue. And if we didn't, we'd eat peanut butter for the rest of uh, <laughs> the year. Um, Cause we didn't make like massive, massive quantities. It was, it was a lot, but not so crazy that uh, that was it. So at this you know, at the Seattle show, it was just sort of like, all right, here we go. I don't know if anybody wants savory nut butters. And uh, I knew I was onto something mainly because I would watch people come up and try it. And I'd see people have this sort of like visceral reaction where they'd be like, whoa, or just like turn to some stranger next to them like, you got to try this. This is incredible. And it just sort of luckily it also translated to sales but like we've all been there where you're at a store or a farmer's market you try something and you know maybe you're you don't want to be rude you're like oh yeah it's good or thank you or whatever and i could just tell that these there are those people still who come up and try it and it's not for them and they're just like oh okay thanks it's nice and you like know that you're like you're just being polite and that's that's nice but i could just feel that just sort of like you could see people's eyes widen and just sort of that sense that this was connecting with people that's got to be exciting. And we've heard that many times. On just heard it from Nolan Hurdy at uh, Proud Mary, the first time he made a cup of coffee for somebody. Same thing. Right. And so, you know, we needed sales in terms of like growing business to, you know, just because people are like excited, they still got to buy it. And, you know, luckily, both there and in Portland, we often were very busy with people. And partially, of course, the fun part of being peanut butter, it's hard to do a drive-by. Like you'll take a sample, you have to kind of stand there to like, get it down and part of what makes our nut butter so fun and unique is it is a fun flavors 
But the fun part of peanut butter, which was, again, something that I sort of realized in the process that there isn't some, like, magic alchemy that, you know, example, like the, the honey chipotle peanut butter, it's really like a flavor experience because you take a bite and at first it's, like, sweet and then smoky. And I I'm said this a million times to people and I'm like, you know, it's sweet, smoky, and just give it a good five seconds for the heat to kind of creep in. And people will look at me like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. And then like they can like count to five and then all of a sudden the heat kind of just starts to like burst in like the back of their throat and their tongue and they're all of a sudden it's this like huge flavor experience and they're like wow that was unexpected and you know and part of it is just literally because the the fat from the peanuts and the protein just kind of coats your tongue and so it kind of blocks the heat from like reaching your taste buds and so then but it makes us this fun flavor experience so especially doing events it's just sort of you that's that's how I knew we we're onto something is people started being like, whoa, that was unexpected, or I didn't see that coming, or I can't believe it. Was so. that planned, or did you fall, Did you back into that and go, hey, this is cool, five seconds? Well, the timing just sort of, as we realize over, just from thinking about how long it took, just because not being used to sampling that, uh, in, in terms of creating it, there were definitely times where making the recipe where I'd be like, hmm, it's not spicy, I guess I'm going to have, and then, oh, no, never mind, there it is, uh, the yeah. heat shows up, so... But sometimes I think people are like, how did you do that? I'm just, it's like, there's no magic. It's, you know, the honey chipotle is peanuts, honey, salt, chipotle chilies. Like, that's it. There's no like, oh, and we use xanthan gum and this thing and that thing. And that's how we make the flavor experience what it is. Uh, it's just, no, that's just how it naturally happens. But it's just sort of a fun benefit and a fun, I think, surprise when you open a jar. If you haven't ever tried it, or certainly if you're at an event trying it, you're like, these flavors are great. And then it's just kind of a fun flavor experience. Um, so I think sort of helped propel us. And then, right, so at the show in Portland, uh, there was actually somebody from New Seasons uh, who had stopped by and just pulled me aside. I was like, hey, here's the number for Chris Sterling, the buyer. You should uh, reach out to him. Which at that point, we were literally like, it had been 10 days for actual public days. I mean, there was just a week in between the two shows. Um, so at that point, right, I mean, asking where I thought I'd be five years from now, I mean, literally, I think maybe I was like, well, let's see how the shows go, and if it goes well, maybe by, like, next summer, I'll kind of reach out to new seasons and see, because it's just, you know, I went from idea July 2013 to four months later having a product. It was seemed a bit far-fetched to be like, and you'll see, we'll be in this many stores by X date or that date. And were you employed then, or was this a side gig hoping that it would turn into a full-time thing? Yeah, no, I was working full-time at Whole Foods. This was just sort of, uh, this was just, let's see what happens. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't because I necessarily was like, I got to get out of here. It was just more of, well, let's see what happens. This might not work, and I still need to make money. And, you know, I still, I kept working from what, the time I came up, launched the product, I think I still worked at Whole Foods for another year before I finally felt like it was time to... And you were able to juggle that? You had to have orders coming in and dealing with that. But I guess in an email world, it's, you can do it. Right. I mean, some of it, you know, we were, we were still very small. Like, we were in... So January of 2014, I had a meeting with New Seasons with Chris, and then he, like, a week later was like, great, let's do this. February, let's put you in six stores. And so it was sort of like... Right, so it was like, I literally, when I, I moved to the Northwest, uh, July 2010, I moved to Seattle for a year, and then I moved down to Portland, uh, end of June 2011, and I had some friends who were like, so you're going to drink coffee, you see, because I didn't, I didn't usually drink coffee on the regular, and it was, when I started the business, <laughs> was that I finally became a, like, everyday drinking coffee person, because uh, it was just sort of like, yeah, I'd get off after work and be like, all right, now I need to get get back to work uh, or like take a quick nap and then kind of how get back many, to how it. How many hours 
over over and above your your real job where you're spending on on the nut butters i mean i'm sure you know i was spending at least you know while i was still working full-time probably at least four plus hours four or six hours and you know after work just you know i was working on figuring out what we were doing and then also trying to like the end of the day i think as i started to feel some success with it it was sort of like well i need more sales though just because just because i feel good or we're in six stores like i got to keep pushing this or get us into more stores or else i won't be able to quit my job and work full time on this so there's definitely a drive to do that and so right so february we got into whole food into new seasons we started to try to push into more of the stores by may we had elbowed our way into a couple whole foods um and so we just kind of kept running and pushing and right i mean Again, the crazy thing, which was, again, the validation of the concept. So I think in February or March of that year, Feast was, you know, accepting applications for artisans. And I was like, hey, why not? I'll apply. I mean, I'm scrappy. I've been around for three months, but why not? Uh, And then, right, like in April, I think, or May, I found out we had gotten into Feast uh, in the, the Oregon Grand Bounty tasting event, which was, again, one of those, like, okay, <laughs> maybe we're onto something. Because again, you know, I, from being a chef and cooking on my back, but Feast seemed like a big deal, is a big deal, and was a big deal at the time. Was, so. it, was it the first or second or third what, third year? Do you remember? It was the second or third. It definitely was okay. not the first year. Yeah, because um, the first, you don't completely know what you're getting into anyway. And so, but after that, it was right, established. So, as right, a so I knew, cool I knew it would, you know, getting in would be great. Uh, for exposure and just again kind of validating the concept uh, and that's sort of there's just been a lot of crazy you know things along the way which you know I had m- made friends with uh, there's a company called Pinkleton's they make awesome caramel corn here in Portland and he had suggested that William Sonoma does kind of these like once a month kind of local vendor markets so I he gave me the contact of the buyer and I reached out to her or the manager of the store and I got signed up. And so I was at the event and the, the manager was like, your stuff's great. When you're at feast, make sure that there'll be William Sonoma. They like the buyer will be there. You should talk to him, which again, at that point we were less than a year in and I was like, who am I? This little guy where we, when I started, we literally were lining up four robo coops doing two jars at a time. We finally bought a, a bigger machine after we had uh, started getting to stores and we did a Kickstarter to help pay for it, and we were fortunate to tip our Kickstarter. I was like, who am I to like get into Williams-Sonoma as this scrappy little uh, guy making you know 60 jars at a time now is my big thing. But with her encouragement, I you know, went and talked to Williams-Sonoma, and uh, a year later, we you know, or eight months later, we got an order from them, and you know, so a year later, we were in all their stores uh, across the And you the still country. are, I would imagine. We, that was a fun holiday order, which was also a great experience and great, exposure and great opportunity for us but again it was one of those milestones of like well, we must be doing something right if uh <laughs> you know William Snow was looking for lots of innovative interesting brands and products um but again so to take a risk on us knowing like I wasn't trying to be like yeah we have this massive facility we can produce whatever you want you know sort of you know like this is kind of what we can do we can probably pull this off I mean we also learned what we could do because we didn't know we could produce as much as we needed because we never had. Uh, I think up to that point, we were averaging maybe 1,500 pounds of peanut butter a month. And in five weeks, we had to make 9,000 pounds of peanut butter to uh, fulfill the order. So it was like we went from zero to 60 very quickly. Uh, and then where are you now? How many pounds a month? Um, so we figured out last year, I think we did 
40,000 pounds of peanut butter. Uh, this year we're going to, we're, you know. That would more than fill this, this studio up, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I th- in a technical sense, it's at least two truckloads, 20, 20 tons of peanuts, if you can. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> two truckloads is easier to envision. Right, so. right. Um, I think it's roughly that. Maybe I'm underselling the amount. But we're doing even more. We've already bypassed that. I forget what the numbers are for this year in terms and of And when you say we, how many people are, uh, are involved with the company? Um, so we're fortunate that we've been able to continue growing that, you know, when I started, it was literally me and my wife. She's a full-time nurse and we would kind of produce when she had days off. Uh, and then eventually with our new equipment, we, I brought someone on to help with production and eventually hired him full-time. And so now, now we're basically, we're still small, lean and scrappy, two full, two full-time people. I've got part-time people helping with kind of production order fulfillment, uh, you know, shipping orders, customers, whether it's pallets to stores or just individual stores to customers across the country. I also have uh, kind of an outside sales team that help us push it to other parts of the country. And then I have an Amazon team that kind of helps grow our Amazon sales. And when did that really kick in? So a lot of that, we were still pretty small and scrappy until about Last November, I brought on the Amazon and outside salespeople because um, as I started to realize whether it's true of any business, whether you're a restaurant or food, you need help. And so I started realizing no matter how many hours in the day there is, there's two arms, two legs, there's only so much I can do and just needed more help because um, we just started to see those little signals of things like Williams-Sonoma or other stores that we're getting in that if I just had some help we should be able to like keep this thing growing that it didn't take, you know, being an expert at Elliot's adult nut butters our nut butter process in order to get it in front of people. Because, you know, I think a lot of stores were excited both because it's a great product. They like the packaging. Um, but it helps us that we're not competing against Skippy's spicy Thai peanut butter or Jif's espresso into peanut butter. It was just deciding, do they want to put us on the shelf or not rather right. than, head-on competing uh, with some brands. And I may, I'm may i no expert in this, but I would imagine that a lot of grocers now are looking for varieties as opposed to, you know, years ago, it was just Jif or Skippy or the, the house brand. Right, and so we're lucky that, uh, A, the nut butter category itself in terms of, like, dollar sales has really grown a lot even in the last five years, five or six years, and so then... It, the sales are growing and then we've also just seen, you know, a maturation that there is more companies that whether they're Justin's or other companies that have started to do some more flavors, even that concept. Like when I started, there were people at events who'd be like, gosh, I never even thought of a flavored nut butter. And, you know, now like nobody ever says that, like, it's kind of like a known quantity that flavored nut butters exist. They might not be familiar with our flavors or what we do, um, but it's even less of like convincing people to... You know, I still meet people who are like, I'm a plain guy, and you know, respect that. It's you know, everybody's got their own thing. Um, but yeah, there is, I think, but there's both consumer demands are changing. There's also in the world of e-commerce that stores need to have more diverse offerings to make people want to come to the store, and that if they're only offering, you know, Jif and Skippy, they're like, well, I can order that online, or I can go to you know a warehouse club and just buy really cheap stuff. So by having more unique items, it makes it a more interesting in-store experience for the customer. Do you have any particular um, 
products that you haven't made that are you think would be exciting? Any kind of nuts you haven't used? So we're planning, hoping this fall for the holidays um, to launch. One of the things that we haven't done yet is use hazelnuts, which of course, you know, our peanuts are all U.S. grown, but we don't, you know, there are no local peanuts to the Northwest. Uh, and even, you know, our almonds are from California because we also, to round out, our, you know, I think I've alluded to, you know, we have our, I mentioned our three peanut butters. We also have an espresso nib peanut butter. We have a chocolate chili almond butter that is just now showing up on the shelves of New Seasons. Uh, and so we have t- two more slots that we kind of either are going to rotate through. Um, and so one of, we're wanting to do either some kind of, you know, Oregon hazelnut butter that hasn't been done yet. Um, and then there is kind of playing around with, you know, are we going to do some other fun, whether it's pumpkin seeds or some other seed butters. Um, we're going to see, and we might just mess around with some flavors or add another almond butter. We only have one almond butter right now, so just kind of experiment. Because um, we're fortunate that people, we're starting to build our calling card of having like great flavors and trying to use nut butters as a canvas for flavors and that you know I think that's where my background or some of our success is sort of understanding how flavors work and not trying to get too cute and there's sometimes where I look at other flavors of any number of products and you're like that person doesn't have a background in food because it's one of those when you work in restaurants that you start to see why certain pairings of flavors work and there's a reason why some flavors are classic or pairings are classic because they just work whether you want to believe it or not they they work and so it's certainly a balance because there are flavors that work that I'd be like yeah but I don't know if anyone's gonna buy <laughs> that just because the flavors would work as a nut butter um, so it's sort of balancing fun interesting flavors that I'm excited about with also like what are people looking for and what are flavors that people really want to grab onto and keep using and not just be what's the flavor of the day and so. do your retailers help you with that or is that something you that you have to uh focus group and push through how does that work for us for flavors it's not really driven by retailers i mean there is certainly a level of you know both looking at what our competitors are doing while also looking at just things in other categories or where are other things that people are using peanuts or almonds and what flavors will make sense uh, to consumers. I mean, you know, one one of my favorite flavors we've made is we do a Harissa cashew butter. And we actually, there's a thing called the Specialty Food Association that they're kind of like the grocery specialty industry group. And last year they they do a Sophie Award, which literally is like their Academy Awards. And so in the nut butter category, we took two out of four, which we won bronze for the spicy Thai and silver for the Harissa cashew butter. Uh, And Have you tried the people who won and did you think they were better than yours? Well, the person who took gold, there was gold and then just like new product. The gold was a pistachio butter, which to me is more... Yeah, I was jealous that they won gold, but it was more like, to me, it was like cheating. Like, if we made a pistachio butter, it would, of course, be incredible because pistachios are great. Uh, but the same way, you know, their jars were just crazy expensive. Uh, so I was happy for them that they won. Uh, so there was no consideration for value or price. It, you could you could have the, uh, you know, the $72 jar of peanut right. butter. Right. I mean, to their, you know, to the specialty food decisions credit, like it was, you know, kind of a blind taste test. They were just evaluating based off of taste right. uh, as opposed to like packaging or other things, which certainly are important in 
in stores, but uh, so I felt happier, proud that like you know bringing our humble peanut or then the cashew butter, like of course pistachio butter, our version of pistachio butter, I would be confident would win, but we'd also charge forty dollars a jar, and I don't think a lot of people want to spend forty dollars on a jar of pistachio. It would butter. be interesting to see if you could do that. Um, <laughs> but but anyway, so like the Harissa cashew butter in in store. Or like in events, people try and love it, but in store, it's still a flavor that's new to people, so it doesn't sell quite as well, even though whenever people try it, they're like, this is incredible, this is like, we want a silver for a reason, not not because I slipped some money under the table, uh, it was because it's great, but it, so that's my challenge now is finding, making sure we have innovative flavors, but that connect with people, and it's sort of a fine line of pushing the envelope. And, you don't want to cannibalize your Thai peanut? Butter lovers, and then have that. It's tough. To, right. You don't necessarily want to get them onto something else, right? So, right. if they're consistent buyers, of course, as we've added more flavors, I've definitely had some older fans who'd be like, "Nope, new ones. Sorry, I'm still a spicy Thai fan. I'm still a espresso nib fan." I'm like, "That's fine. Good you don't, to know. You don't need to. That's, as long as you have one that you like, that's all that I need." That's so. perfectly fine. How did you go about doing your packaging? And did you test Elliot's adult nut butters? At all, or was it just amongst friends? So I, I tested the flavors on friends and family to get feedback. Like I had, a, a probably we launched with three. I think I probably had eight other flavors. One of which, like the Harissa cashew butter, was a flavor that we had in the back. Our friends at San Pellegrino would like to shine the spotlight on dining at Departure. Floating atop the landmark Myron Frank building above the Nines Hotel, Departure's ambitious menu captivates diners with its masterful remix of authentic and coastal cuisines. From street food-styled starters to meal-sized classics, rice and noodle specialties to market-fresh sushi, Chef Gregory Gorday and his team at Departure embrace the bounty of the Pacific Northwest to deliver the fiery flavors of the Far East. Settle into your seat at Departure's coolly elegant lounge or claim your perch on their panoramic deck and toast to the spirit of exploration with its menu of global cocktails. Sipped high above the city center from Portland's best downtown location. A great way to compliment any dish on Departure's exciting menu is with a sparkling bottle of San Pellegrino. Make sure to check into SanPellegrino.com to see where the best chefs in the world recommend you dine. And San Pellegrino also recommends you make a reservation soon to dine at Departure in Portland. The name I certainly tried, and I, I had an old friend who, like, sort of, I mean, was, like, talking to other friends. He's like, does he get, there's another connotation to adult? Like, doesn't he, doesn't he not get uh, the meaning? Uh, which, being an adult male, I've... I've understood there's another connotation to the word adult. Um, but I think what I found just doing some testing, it felt like people were thought it was fun. And that's sort of doing those events in Seattle and Portland that I mentioned to some extent was really meant to be like market researcher feedback. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, a funny moment at the show in Seattle was we had a throng of people at the table. People were buying and sampling. And this woman just comes up and be like, well, that's not what adult means like you can't put that on your jar and we're like really busy and she stood there for like 30 seconds kind of like waiting for us to like shut it down or something and be like oh you're right we can't put adult on our jars because it's that never even <laughs> dawned on me to me it's a i, th I think it's a brilliant move because i remember i can kind of remember back to when it, it says this isn't your this is not your this is not your kids peanut butter this is 
something right, different. I mean, certainly at events, the number one of the number one questions people walk up and they'd be like, so what makes it adult? And more often than not, people are expecting there to be booze in it for some reason. Uh, oh, I which, could see that. Which we're disappointed. As things became legal, like when we started, uh, you know, marijuana was not legal here. So then people were like, in Oregon, people were like, oh, is there some uh, pot in there or whatever? And we're like, nah, sorry. Like, uh, Are you going to do that at any point? Would you- I mean, I'll never say never, but it's definitely... It's still the wild, wild west of both regulation and costs and managing all that and sort of like we're happy with the path we're on. So, you know, it's always sort of tempting to think about. It's going to be big someday. I mean, you got you got the whole West Coast now and East Coast is following suit. Right. I mean, I think my more mentality is I'm happy. There's definitely people killing it right now. But, you know, there's liability things of, you know, it's hard to bank. It's hard to get insurance. There's all kinds of issues that can be overcome, but it's still like a headache that we're trying to, we're still small and scrappy and trying to just stay focused on what we're doing. And, uh, and you could always start it under a different name. So you're not right. risking anything with what you're right, have. right, right. So, um, so, so what's been the toughest thing for you? I mean, frankly, listening to your story, it sounds, you know, there's step after step, but what was the hardest? Were, were there any points where you said, oh man, this is not what I signed up for? I mean, I think that certainly happened, I'd say, many times along the way. Not in a bad way of like, you know, some of this journey of, you know, we're coming up, November will be five years. Uh, a lot of this journey was learning grocery or just there's things now where I look back and be like, what an idiot that I didn't do that. Or well, I can't believe I didn't do that. But, you know, there's any number of things where I think there's a lot of times where I go to the grocery store and I think I can't believe this is the best. XYZ product or I can't believe we don't do better and some of the challenges that you know I found is like being small often there are problems where better funded companies can sort of just like solve or in terms of distribution like we're in we're fortunate to be in between five to seven hundred stores in about 22 states but as we grow you know getting into more stores means finding a distributor who will get it to places and as you get into distribution you realize that they start hacking away at money and even if I knew some of those things and there's like hidden fees and I'm spending my time fighting to get paid money that I was supposed to be paid and you know there's even the little things like when I started it's a weird thing to say that being naive and green literally I was the business was running out of money and I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong and it was more like oh no I'm not doing anything wrong per se it's just more I'm selling more product which means I need to make more which means I need to pay money and the money that I'm going to get paid for the stuff I've sold hasn't arrived yet. So, you know, it's a constant battle of as we grow, it's an even bigger problem of like, well, how do I pay for the next order? Because I, we bought 10,000 pounds of peanuts. We sold it, but I'm not getting paid till this date. This but, sounds uh, like a Shark Tank thing to me. I see this these conundrums there. Right. Wow. So, I mean, we're, I'm happy that I've, by being kind of small and scrappy and kind of bootstrapped for most of the way, you know, we've had to learn how to be smart about, you know, our resources. Have you had some mentors that have helped you uh, along the way? Yeah. I mean, and that's sort of what's helped as along the way I've found different people in the community, food community here in Portland and beyond. I mean, it's of the great things about Portland. I mean, incredibly, there are at least seven or eight other nut butter companies and we're all pretty friendly with each other and you know so there is some ability to commiserate i wouldn't have known that i know it's seven or eight it's nuts but uh 
<laughs> well, you had the opportunity yeah, to find I had to do it. I had to do it. But, um, <laughs> well, I can't have an adult nut butter company not have some kind of sense of humor. But So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have some mentors who both are in grocery, and then I've had to find mentors, you know, as I'm probably making fun of myself for not knowing some basic fundamentals of business in terms of managing cash flow. But so I was sort of finding people who are more CFO types to be like, all right, these are my weaknesses. I don't know this. So I need to find people to advise or to tell me like, no, you're not failing. Here's how you're going to, you know, get on the right track or fix these things or work on your margin. Um, you know, and there are just little challenges. Like we're fortunate, you know, in terms of like challenges, like there was, we were filling an order last year for cost plus world market and we just could not get our, our peanuts were delayed like six weeks and we had orders coming in that we just could not fill because we didn't have product. And, you know, it was when I was like, this is a good problem, except it was very frustrating because mm-hmm. it was hurting the business that we were like kind of stuck in second gear that we like had orders we couldn't fill. And so. have you found ways to overcome that in the, when that happens in the future? Yeah. I mean, every, every challenge or everything we've done, I mean, there's, I mean, again, could be, cliche to say but there's a lot of things where I could look at something and be like I failed at this but in reality I found like by learning from it we you know we're better stronger for the next battle or for the next time issues come up so um, that's sort of I think you know there's things along the way that I've learned where I'm like in hindsight I'm like I can't believe <laughs> I thought that was a good idea or I can't believe I did it like that but you know fortunately being small some of the you know mistakes little things that are just it's life. You're going to make mistakes or you're going to make good plans and things aren't going to work out. And right. So, and when you're uh, scrappy and lean, the mistakes don't tend to be as large as if you have a, uh, you know, a big pool of money to work from right. and you screw that up and then you're just. Right. So, I mean, there's still, you know, it means there's, there's less room, there's less margin to make big mistakes, but it's also true that, you know, I've seen the stories or, you know, seen large sums of money that have gotten blown and I'm like, well, I wouldn't. Of, you know, I can't believe they did that or whatever, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, grocery, as much as I've talked about how, you know, I've looked at restaurants being hard. I mean, grocery is still hard because, you know, there is, as we're getting more acceptance, there are still people who don't get it. Or, you know, I've talked to people, some of the big guys and it's a good compliment, but sometimes they'll call us like bleeding edge. They're like, well, you're a little early for us. Like, hopefully give us a little more time and maybe we'll see how the market shapes out. Um, I would I would imagine on the West Coast you get that less and then as you go further into the Midwest you're going to get a little more uh it's it's going to be a little harder for people to just automatically understand what you're doing. Yeah, I mean it's definitely a range. I mean some people just like get it and you know, like I said, I mean, we have customers and I, I'm pretty sure we ship product to literally every state in the country. I mean, we're actually in about a hundred some Safeway stores in Washington, Alaska. Wow. And so some of the Alaska stores are some of our better Safeway stores. So like, you know, there's lots of peanut butter. I mean, 90% of U.S. households have a jar of peanut butter in it. So as I was saying, you know, it's not convincing people to buy peanut butter. It's just convincing them to buy us. So, but it is still sometimes buyers who are you know, it's new and different, which sometimes can be good for them. And sometimes they're it's, like nervous. It's a little more a, expensive too. So it's a little risk to try it for the first time. Once you like it, then you know. Right. So that's, um, that's uh, of successes we've had is like once we get in the store and get some people trying it, it's not hard to kind of build a following of people. Um, right. It's never guaranteed, certainly, but. Uh, so what we never got to before, I think you were on your way. How many people work for Elliot's? 
adult nutbuckers. Um, the- so, I mean, I think, you know, in various roles, because not everyone's working full-time, or there were probably, you know, there's two of us full-time, and then about another five, seven-ish people who are various kind of part-time or consulting roles, and then I have some other advisors who... That's impressive to be out there selling that much product with that few people, I think. I would have thought it would be be larger, but you have to keep it small. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, there's things that we've been fortunate to be able to stay small, even just things like we're lucky that our product is compelling of good branding. Like, we're fortunate to have gotten, like, written up in things like food and wine, real simple, like, we've gotten press you know whether we won two sophie awards or we've we i got into fox business news to talk about whole foods or i've been there's things where i've managed to do where like i'm the pr person and not because i'm some genius at pr i've just seems like people find our product to be interesting and oh i think and you're a you're a genial person and you're a good looking guy i think you're a good face for the company right right so there's things like that ultimately that have helped that we have been in a good place at a good time with a great product and great packaging. And, you know, in talking about being adults, that is also a selling point because I think the buyers who get it, the same way that everybody asks what makes an adult is that that's people engaging with the product. And then when you look down our label, you're like, Elliot's adult nut butter is adult. And then you're like, oh, spicy Thai peanut butter. Well, yeah, that is yeah. kind of an adult flavor or mm-hmm. espresso nib or chocolate chili yeah, almond butter. For uh, me, when you were saying or some people were challenged at that, it, it doesn't seem like it's a, it's a big leap. Right. I mean, sometimes as we explain it, they look at the jar and then they're like, oh, right. Duh. Like it's an adult flavor. Like I get it. Right. Uh, it doesn't take long, but even, but that's almost half the battle. I mean, I think it's some statistic like, in a grocery store, a consumer will look at your jar for maybe like two seconds. You basically have two seconds to like tell your story and engage the customer. And you know how many so, other things they've seen in that last half hour? It's nuts. Right. So, I mean... Uh, I did it. <laughs> so, you know, in terms of putting adult in there, yes, there's, you know, we, we want something engaging. I didn't want to be a gimmicky thing. You know, if you look at our jars, there's no winking woman in a bikini. Like, I didn't want to go no. that route. You know, we're just adult flavors for grown-ups. Kids can eat them because they're simple. I think clean it's ingredients. the purest derivation of the word. Uh, in my <laughs> mind, I don't think you have to apologize for it or or explain it. I just it seems like it's there. Um, but the key is getting. I think the key is getting um, kids kids into. I want to be an adult too, or just you know, kids are kids of people who are eating in out in Portland are more. Right. Uh, in tune with spicy flavors now. So. Yeah, and there's definitely people who try it and do that. And I mean, one of the next things we're hoping to launch pretty darn soon, on top of some new flavors, we're going to come out with a uh, little one-ounce squeeze packs for... Good, because I'd asked you about those. That'd be which great. is great for convenience packaging, but the same way, like, if you're, you know, if your kids have more interesting taste, you can throw a squeeze pack in their lunchbox or whatever, and so... Oh, it's a good way to sample, too. Right, that right, well. exactly. So oh, great. Right, and there was certainly part when I launched it, I was like, eh, I'll say it's for adults because of all the reasons I have stated, but if there's some kids who want to be subversive, like, you can't tell me I can't eat that uh, exactly. peanut butter, like, great, then, you know, I think that's that. a big market. I want that. I want to be that. <laughs> right. So, well, thank you so much for coming. Appreciate it. And, um, yeah, we met a few years ago. I don't know if you remember. You wouldn't remember. I was one of 73 people, <laughs> 7,300 people at Feast. The, so, now that I saw you again, I was like, we definitely chatted. But, yeah, uh, we, we chatted. It was a long totally. time ago. So it's nice to have you in. And I know we have your product that I know my son's a big fan. So um, uh, maybe I'll, I'll be eating it a little more. I haven't had a lot of peanut butter lately. I'm, I'm a purist. 
Well, white, I, bre- white bread, Jif, and a good Oregon local. I hear preserves. you. We've had some converts, and I'd be remiss without saying, of course, since we're in Portland, we're available in New Seasons, Whole Foods, QFC, Market of Choice, and a growing list of stores. And you can order it. Can you, you order online, you Amazon, exactly. Cost, a whole lot of places. Uh, we're cost plus world market now across the country, and so yeah. beautiful. Well, thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for having me. All right. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com.